This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Brendan Nunez, and Rich Ivanowski is here today as well. And we have a special guest today. That is Anthony Puccio who is a Brooklyn Nets beat writer inside the locker room. And we compare Brooklyn and Sacramento, dive into Brooklyn's offseason a little bit, some upcoming free agents they have that have been linked to the Kings, and more as well. So give it a listen, guys, and hope you enjoy. All right, guys, we got a guest on today. He's here to talk to us about the Brooklyn Nets. It is uh, our buddy from Nets Daily, Anthony Puccio. Welcome, Anthony. Richard, Brennan, thanks for having me on, guys. We've been trying to bring on different guests from uh, different teams around the league, especially ones that have interesting connections uh, with the Kings. And I think there's a lot of similarities between these two teams, both young teams coming up. The Nets won both of the games, both in the matchups this year against the Kings. What did you, uh, what were your impressions from those games and from the Kings overall this year? Well, I think the one that stands out is, is obvious from a net perspective, the, the 28 point comeback. But, um, I mean, I mean, you're a hundred percent right. You know, they're both very similar teams, both young and upcoming teams that you see. It's hard to call a rebuild because they both, you know, they're, they're so young, but at the same time this year, they, they both took tremendous strides forward. Um, they obviously both have good young cores to work with. Uh, so when, when I watch those games, I, I, I you know, it's kind of like that Spider-Man meme, you know, where they're both kind of looking at each other and pointing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, so a lot of similarities there. Uh, Kings, obviously like this blue collar identity, like working hard, looks a lot like the Nets. Um, uh, I know they just had a coaching change and things in the front office are a little bit different. So I can't really say they're the same in that aspect, but definitely a lot, a lot to look forward to for both teams going forward and a lot of similarities. Yeah, they both have a pretty tragic trade in their not-so-distant past as well. I know people bring that up. Um, uh, you know, around Sacramento, we talk about giving up that future first-rounder, which turned out to not be such a disaster based on uh, winning 39 games this year. But, yeah, I know I know it took a while for the Nets to shake that off, but it looks like, it looks like you guys are back in a major way. Yeah, I mean, you know, really just the whole culture talk, you know, when Sean Marks and Kenny Axton took over in 2016, you know, I, I think everybody kind of just figured that was, you know, their way of 
just, you know, kind of using a company line. And, and, and I don't think a lot of people really understood what they were trying to say. And, and when they said culture, it was, you know, high character individuals. It was, it was a blue collar mentality coming in and working hard. It was, you know, bringing in the right guys, not just, not just talented players, but bringing in the right guys that are going to fit their vision. So they started making these moves. They started, they traded for D'Angelo Russell with Brooke Lopez in the 27th pick. You know, they, they, they acquire a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie out of the G League. They, you know, they find Joe Harris also basically in the G League most of his career. So they found all these diamonds in the rough when people kind of didn't expect it, you know, and they, they struggled the first two seasons. But, um, I guess, you know, having gotten to know these guys these past three years and, and, and seeing what they're all about, it, it, it's, they, they've gotten these players to believe in everything that they're building. And a good example of that is Spencer Dinwiddie taking a discount to, to stay with them. Joe Harris taking a discount to stay with them. You know, two years, 16 million for the best three point shooter in the NBA this year. So when you look at things like that and you trust this, this process, this progress, as they call it in Brooklyn, you know, you trust it at the year three and you're already in the playoffs, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to think how far that they've come considering since that, since that Boston trade. So I really, it, it all starts with Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson and really just trickles down to everybody else and, and believing in what they're building. You know, and then the, the other win, the, the one that was just a straight blowout, not so much a comeback that happened at a point in the season where Kings fans were really excited. And that was one of the first times I feel like the Kings really got smacked in their faces and to me, a lot of it, you know, we talk about the similarities, but there's a difference between these teams, too, as far as roster composition. Uh, the Kings have really not had a lot in terms of forwards, long forwards, stretchy guys, three fours. Uh, and and uh, the Nets are just stacked with these guys that are 6'6 six, six to 6'9. Six, I mean, it feels like almost all the roster is 6'6 six, 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 to 6'9 guys. Um, and we'll get into some of these guys, but... Man, I I mean, there's a, a pick like Kurutz and uh, these guys like Musa. I th- I feel like these are the types types of guys that the Kings need to start adding to their roster to turn the corner. Yeah, the the Nets are very much into this, you know, all analytics and and you know, fitting the NBA mold in 2019, and you know, something Kenny Atkinson emphasized when he first took over was. You know, positionless basketball, ball handlers, wings, and bigs. And I think the emphasis again is that you cannot teach length, especially guys that could, that could handle the rock. You know, you look and that's where the NBA is going today. All the best players mostly are, are pretty long players that could dribble the ball, that could shoot, that could really do it all. So, you know, you look, you mentioned a Karooks. He fits the perfect model for them as a stretch four, but somebody that could also play the three and, and move around. You look at Karis LeVert, you know, six foot seven and, and just extremely lanky, but he could also be a point guard, you know, so, um, <clears throat> what that does for Kenny Agatson and the Nets is just, it, it, it enables them to be, uh, I guess, I guess flexible with everybody. Um, injuries happen, obviously. They rest guys, whatever it might be. <clears throat> that next guy's got to be ready to step up and whether it's Karis LeVert, whether it's Spencer Dinwiddie, whoever it might be. You know, they feel like they could put anywhere, anybody at any position and, and thrive in it. And, and I think that's how it has to be going forward, given how 
again, the model of the NBA is going positionless ball. They're very, very much into that. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. I'm curious what you would say that you think the identity of this Nets team is. And I know it's difficult with a very big offseason coming up, the question behind D'Lo coming back or maybe having two max spots. But what do you feel like? I know you said that, you know, Sean Marks is bringing in hardworking guys that have great attitude. But what would you say this team is based around? You know, Brent, I, I, I got to tell you, like, and I, maybe I beat the, the horse to death here, but it is that blue-collar identity, and, and that starts with Kenny Atkinson. You know, he he spent so much time, I mean, countless amount of years overseas and as a development coach in the NBA, eight to be exact, before he came to the Nets. And, um they kind of built off of that, off of his energy. You know, he's up at 4 a.m., you know, looking at film and, and seeing how he could get these guys better. So when you ask me what the identity is, you know, even when they were losing under, under Kenny Atkinson and Trell Marsh the first two seasons, like, they were competing. They, they, like, they wanted it to be known that, you know, you're not going to come into Brooklyn and, and get an easy win at yeah. the very least, you know, you know, so really they've taken a lot of pride in, in just, having guys in the gym. I mean, you look a couple weeks ago, I, you know, they're in, they're in the playoffs a little bit over a month ago and guys are already back in the gym at HSS training center in, in Brooklyn. You know, they're, they're all playing together, even the free agents, Damari Carroll, Jared Dudley. So little things like that, just being cohesive and everything like that. But when you ask identity, it's, it's, it's about working hard and just uh, seeing fruit to your labor, and, and that's what they're getting now. You know, they're showing it obviously with their their most previous playoff appearance, which nobody expected. Yeah. And you know, they're getting a lot of props for it. So really, they they have to keep building on it. The most important thing, though, is that they don't burn themselves out. Because I think the thing is with these type of teams, when you do build your identity off of blue collar and working hard and all this stuff, I think you know it's easy, especially for these young guys that aren't accustomed to 82 games. You know making sure that you don't burn yourself out by time playoffs hit. And I think the Nets kind of did, especially since they had a really, really tough schedule towards the end. But it's it's definitely all revolving around this hard work and, and, and high-character individuals that want to get in the gym with them and get better. You know, you mentioned a lot of role players there that I want to get to eventually, but I'd like to start – with, uh, uh, you know, one guy that's obviously had to work really hard to improve his game. D'Angelo Russell has, you know, ha- obviously had a breakout year here. Uh, I wanted to get your impression of him in comparison to a guy like Darren Fox. Do you think that they're on the same level? Do you think that Russell's a step ahead? And I guess the way I'd pose this question to you, just as a hypothetical exercise here, do you think if Fox and Russell were switched places if Fox were the point guard, starting point guard of the Nets this year, do you think they would have made the playoffs? 
You know, I'm not I'm not too sure about that. That's not to discredit anything that De'Aaron Fox has done this year. He's only 21 years old. I think that D'Angelo, you know, this was his fourth year having that pass that he had. He had he he came into Brooklyn with this chip on his shoulder. Like he he wanted this, and you know, so many people on the inside said that without D'Angelo, without D'Angelo, you know, we don't we don't skip the steps that we did this past season. You know, we don't make the playoffs without him. So, um, you know, look. With D'Angelo Russell, he came into Brooklyn, and when he got traded, he said he called his brother and he said, "Look, bro, I'm so happy that I have a clean slate. You know, I'm so happy that I get a fresh start." And you know, he he talked to Kenny Atkinson and he said, "I want to be coached because D'Angelo Russell he didn't have a coach for two consecutive years since Kevin Boyle in high school. So, you know, he came here wanting to be coached, wanting to get better. They knew that he had the superstar potential." Now, you know, obviously that's his next step is reaching that level. But um, I think just given his his circumstances, like like him and the Nets were kind of on a parallel in the sense that they both needed a second chance. I think he fit in just perfectly. So when you ask the hypothetical question, I mean, look, you know, I'm, I'm not a psychic over here, but, <laughs> you know, I think that D'Angelo was probably perfect. I don't know. If De'Aaron came in, you know, being still, you know, his second year, 21 years old, I'm not sure if he would have led them there just yet. But, you know, again, I think that's more of a credit to D'Angelo, not not really a discredit to what De'Aaron Fox has done. It sounds like you're pretty high on D'Lo, understandably so. Does that mean you're fully on, no matter what, that D'Lo needs to be back next year? You know, that's the question everybody wants to know. And and I I. I think, and I know people inside the organization think very, very highly of D'Lo, you know, 23 years old. Like I said, he helped them skip the steps that they did. He, he matured on and off the court. But look, guys, you have a shot at Kyrie Irving. You have a shot at KD. You gotta go. For it. I yeah. mean, you know, it's just, it, uh, you don't need me to tell you that. And, and it's so hard because Nets fans are so torn. And I think even the Nets are torn because you know, this, this kid came in here and he did everything they asked him to, you know, he did and beyond, you know, he became an all-star and, and just that maturity factor I mentioned, you know, fitting into the culture, wanting to be coached. I think it's, it's, it's a hard thing for them because if they do let him go, it kind of goes against everything that they've preached in terms of culture. It goes against, you know, talking about guys getting better in development and, and, raising these young guys without skipping steps. But again, it, it just comes down to the fact that if if they renounce D'Angelo Russell, they have two max spots and they're a 42 win team and, and, you know, the biggest market in the world, you know, so Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and which I've heard that Kyrie Irving is very much so interested in joining the Nets. Kevin Durant is going to give them a meeting. You know, I don't, I don't think D'Lo knows his future. And right now uh, that's, that's kind of putting people in a, you know, Nets fans in a swivel right now. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting situation because, like you said, so much of that identity does come from D'Angelo and he seems to fit. You know, it, it's kind of what, what we had predicted. We talked about D'Lo in our last episode and we kind of figured it was the comparison was at a place where neither team would would trade or make that swap. They each think that they got their guy. And they, they each fit their team so well. But maybe on a personal level and, and 
you know, I know that you are uh, an unbiased reporter as well as a fan. It's difficult sometimes to balance those things, but maybe speaking for is, is fandom as best as you can, is that something that you think Nets fans would be upset about? 100%. And it's crazy because, you know, I, I tweeted something out, you know, that the Nets, the best free agent that has ever signed with the Nets was Armin Gilliam in, in, in 1993. I mean, you know, the, they have never been in this position to get these guys. So it's it's hard for fans to be spoiled and, you know, like be picky and say that they don't want Kyrie Irving. I mean, you know, you tell me that a year or two years back, and I think people would be jumping up and down. But now that they've taken these steps and um, really built it on their own, you know, it was organic. It was It was built from the bottom up. They did it on their own. They drafted most of these guys. They took in D'Angelo as if, you know, he was the lottery pick that they never had in Boston, uh, with the Boston trades. Um, it's just, yeah, it, 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 it's tough. Like they don't, they don't, they don't really know if they want to commit to him, especially if these guys want to come to Brooklyn. It's a crazy offseason in general, like we said. I know you got these three draft picks that are practically all first-rounders. You have your own Denver's and then the second-rounder from New York, first pick of the second round. And Shams put out an article today talking a little bit about AD. And I saw the Nets thrown on the list that would be interested as well, which just adds a whole nother complication to your offseason. What is that? What does that package look like? So that's another thing. You know, we talked about Anthony Davis and – Again, like if they were to trade, and look, they have they have the pieces. I, I really do believe that they have the pieces to to compete with all these other teams that want to get AD. And you look at Harris Levert, you look at Jared Allen and D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Rodion Skarouks, even Musa down who played in the G League. You know, um, I don't know what a package would look like, but I'm almost certain that they would not want to include Harris Levert. I think they'd be okay with trading Jared Allen. Now, the problem that they run into is, is much like what I mentioned with D'Angelo Russell and him resigning or not. You know, if, if they decide to just cut their whole roster for Anthony Davis, you really, everything that they've preached in terms of culture and development and everything like that, building it from the ground up, not skipping steps, you know, it would, it would be put into question because for obvious reasons they'd be contradicting themselves they'd be trading their whole team that they built these past three years for one guy in hopes that he resigns too so yeah um i i think i think if you do actually look at a trade though speaking hypothetically i think i think the nets would have to put jared allen on the board i think it would be him karooks um either a dimwitty or joe harris you know maybe Three, four first round picks. You know, like they have the seventeenth pick this upcoming this this upcoming draft. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, again, they don't have they don't they they have pieces. I just I don't think that they want to give up too much of their core. They don't want to give up Karis Levert and Jared Allen. I think it's more one or the other. And if they're going to give up Levert, you're going to have to take back Allen Krebs contract. Okay. Right. You know, I. Am uh, really high on Jared Allen. Actually, uh, I I think that I mean, understandably, a lot of people are somewhat, but I go a little crazy on it sometimes. I think that you know people talk about John Collins a lot, and that's understandable. He's an exciting guy, but 
uh, both picked outside of the lottery in that draft. And I really, I really feel like a lot of times I maybe tend to go for defense uh, over, over offense, but you know, and non shooting bigs are, are definitely going out of fashion in the modern NBA. But the way that, that Jarrett Allen can get vertical and really protect the rim. That's something that the Kings have lacked for a long time, a true rim protector. And uh, I mean, where do you see the ceiling on a guy like Jarrett Allen? Look, I mean, Rich, they, they, they think the world is him. I think like Kenny Atkinson gets so giddy when, when people ask him a question about Jarrett Allen and, you know, look, when he got drafted 19 years old, this kid lived in Texas his whole life. He went to college in Texas. Um, Coming to Brooklyn, you know, they thought he was going to be in the G League right away. But like you mentioned, he, he made an impact on the defensive end right away. Pretty good rim protector, 12th in blocks this past season in his sophomore year. Um, you know, I, I think that personally, I think his ceiling, I think he can become an all-star one day. But this is not something that's going to happen in a year or two. I think, I think Jared Allen needs at least three, four years because still to this day, and if you watch, the Philadelphia series, you know, he he still gets bullied by yeah. big like other physical bigs. Like he and it wasn't just that series, it was all year long. So he has to get stronger and he has to find a touch around the rim in order for him to be elite. He's already an elite rim protector. Um he runs the floor really well and that bodes very well for this fast pace, you know, pace and space type of style of ball at the Nets play. Um, you know, just he does everything that they need him to do. He just has to get stronger. And if he gets stronger and he bulks up the same way that, you know, if you look at Giannis when he was 20 years old, if you look at Anthony Davis when he was 20 years old, very much like Jared Allen, you know, he can he can get to that level. Maybe not so much Anthony Davis level, but I think that he can be an all-star in this league. Kind of reminds me of a frame of a, a guy in the Kings, Marvin Bagley. He needs to make that same step in strength. You know, and then that's going to be what allows him to play center if he needs to play center. That's going to be so massive for his, his rebounding, for his defense. Um, it's it's crazy. We look at these these guys that are seven feet tall, and it's like, yeah, this is still just a kid. You know, this guy is going to get bigger. He is going to get stronger. Right, and and that's that's basically the focal point. Is just you know, this kid works hard. Jared Allen works really really hard, but. He's not going to put 20 pounds on in one summer. And like you said, he's still 20 years old. So, it, like, if they're patient with him, if teams are willing to be patient with him, you know, they're going to get a really good player if, if the Nets decide to trade him or if they decide to keep him, whatever, whoever, whoever does happen, have him, you know, they got to understand that he's going to produce right now. But again, it's going to take time. He is still a project. He's still very, very young. And I know that the, you guys are looking for someone to back up Jared Allen as well in that five position. And I think that Deadman is obviously a very big one here. I think I've realized that there's a ridiculous amount of teams that are going to be fighting over Dwayne Deadman in that same, same Shams piece today. He was saying, of course, Atlanta's looking to bring him back also, something along two years, 14 million. I think a lot of teams would be willing to pay that. Just guys like Robin Lopez and different things like that. What sort of names interest you in that backup center? And I know the Kings are looking at the same thing, but more of a probably starting position there. You know, I think, you know, there's so many names that we could talk about, but I think, honestly, the Nets would love to bring Ed Davis back. You know, he he 
he was the perfect mentor for, for Jared Allen off the court, on the court, you know, in his ear all the time, but not, not over the top, just more a leader by example, you know, just, just giving him tips, keeping it real with him. And, and what Ed Davis did this past season, you know, in such a limited amount of time, I think he was the most efficient rebounder in the NBA. Um, you know, he was, he was kind of that perfect backup big. Now, the question is whether, you know, Ed Davis, like Spencer Dinwiddie and like Joe Harris, if he's going to be willing to take a discount to stay in Brooklyn. And that's kind of been the talk around here. And, and you know, look, having spoken with Ed myself, um, he says that he wants to stay here long term. He probably would take a little bit of a pay cut. But, uh, you know, I talked to him midseason. Now you look back, the season that he did have, I think that he'll have bigger offers. And at the end of the day, money talks. It's just a matter of, you know, what he wants. Um, he, 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 he likes Brooklyn. He likes everything that they do with the performance team. They, he likes the, the way that they're going. You know, his family lives in Philadelphia, so he's not far from home. Um, so really, again, like I, I know people focus on the Dwayne, uh, Deadmans of the world, the Robin Lopez of the world, but I think that Ed Davis is, is somebody that they definitely want to bring back. He's, he's that veteran leader that they, that they need. Well, you know, I don't think it's a, that much of a secret that a lot of Kings media has focused on him as well. I know a lot of the guys over at Sackdown Realty love Ed Davis. Uh, the Kings have been awful at rebounding for years now. And like you said, I mean, this is the kind of guy who is just grabbing every every board that he sees. Is You know, he's just like a Hoover out there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, the $4.5 million dollar deal the one-year deal i feel like something bigger is definitely out there i think the kings would certainly be interested in in offering offering him more what do you 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 said you see uh maybe he would take a pay cut to stay or at least relative to other offers but what are you seeing uh for him financially going forward i feel like that i feel like he's gonna get uh six to eight million dollar offers out there or at least i would hope the kings would offer that yeah, I would have to agree with that. I, th- I think that there are definitely teams out there that would be willing to throw six to eight. I think the Nets would if, 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 look, if they're in that position and, you know, they don't land all these big free agents that, that they want, you know, I think, I think he'll be back because I think that they're willing to spend the money on him, whatever it might be, you know. Again, I think, I think it's around that six to eight million dollar price range, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just so tough to predict what his value is the net at least in terms of money, just cause I don't know what's going to happen in free agency. We don't know anything with that, but um, yeah, it, it, Ed Davis is probably one of the most intriguing yet quiet cases in Brooklyn, just because he was so important to this team. I don't, I don't think they make the playoffs without him. And there are so many teams around the league that could use him. Like you just said, the Kings would love to have a guy like that. And like, just like Brooklyn, he would be a great leader to, you know, to follow, for, for Marvin Bagley Jr. and, 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 and you know, Willie Cauley-Stein. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. 
Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The King's Pulse podcast is now available on the app Podcoin. That is an app where you literally get paid to listen to podcasts. Our podcast is on there. There's plenty of other great content as well. How it works is for regular listening, you earn one Podcoin every 10 minutes. There's bonus podcasts as well that will include the King's Pulse podcast that you earn one and a half pod coins for 10 minutes. And there's also streak listening where you can learn, earn up to two or two and a half per 10 minutes and you can put those pod coins towards gift cards and other prizes as well that have a cash value. Be sure to download Podcoin and listen to our podcast and the rest of the podcasts that are on there as well. And there's a couple other upcoming free agents that were on Brooklyn last year that Sacramento has been linked to as well in that backup small forward position being Jared Dudley and Damari Carroll. And Dudley has actually been directly linked to the Kings saying that, you know, that'd be an interesting place to play, go and mentor a little bit. But I know he was really what felt like the heart and motor of this team at times last year, especially during the playoffs, wearing it on his sleeve and all that. What's your feeling on these guys potentially coming back to Brooklyn? I know a lot's up in the air, but it seems like most of these guys look like they're looking to come back. Yeah, I mean, look, they, you know, they want to come back and, and they voice that. They want to be in Brooklyn as long as they can, but they also understand the business. They understand the Nets are, you know, big game hunting right now. But I got to tell you, Jared Dudley, you hit, you hit the nail on the head. Like he was, he was the heart and soul of this team. He was the veteran leader that they needed. Um, you know, all these years they had Brooke Lopez, you know, to, that was coming back to be that veteran leader. You know, they kind of, they kind of relied on him. And, and when Brooke was gone after that D'Angelo Russell trade, you know, there was a void because they had all these young guys, but they didn't, you know, they didn't have their, their leader that was on the team for, you know, what, nine seasons? You know, so Jared Dudley brings that veteran leadership to the table. And he also does contribute on the court too. He's just such a smart basketball player. And I think they're going to do whatever it takes to get him back. But again, the question is, you know, how much is he going to command? At the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. I think they really want to bring him back. They know how important he is. He was crucial, crucial for D'Angelo Russell and, 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 and Jared Allen and really just everybody. I mean, the Nets started eight and 18. And Jared Dudley held the players only film session and, and, and they spoke and he was the leader. He was the coach of, of the room there and the Nets, they won 20 of their next 26 games. And that's really what propelled them is that, is that leadership. So, you know, you have these three guys you mentioned, you know, Ed Davis, you have Jared Dudley and you have Damari Cow, your three veteran leaders all on expiring deals. And you have a bunch of, you know, young 20 year olds on the team. That just took a huge step forward behind the leadership of these old, these older guys. You know, they, they're in a difficult position right now because they, you know, you don't want to lose all three of those guys. And I think if anybody is the most realistic to come back just because of financial, uh, circumstances, I would say Jared Dudley would be back. But, you know, when he, when he talked about the Kings, I could see that he said the Celtics too. Jared Dudley is a very honest guy when he sees the situation, he's real about it, and uh, just one of the smartest basketball people, basketball minds I've ever spoken to, and and I'm not surprised that he listed the Kings as a team that he wouldn't mind, you know, going out and being that 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 veteran leader for them. But 
again, I think the Nets are going to try and do everything they possibly can to keep him on the team. Yeah, I'll say that was a pretty big deal for Kings fans to hear. Uh, you know, when Jared Dudley was talking uh, on the, the, I believe it's the tampering podcast from The Athletic, and, uh, you know, he just said, you know, he's he's the kind of guy who, like Vince Carter, is the kind of guy who likes to be a mentor role, likes to go to a team that's trying to make that leap. He talked about Vince in Atlanta this year, and he talked when he was listing off teams that he might be able to do that for in the future, he listed the Kings first. It was the first name out of his mouth. And that's a big deal for, for us because the King, Kings have been really bad at attracting free agents uh, of, of any kind for a long time. The, and a guy that sees them as just a step away, like Jared Dudley, that, that's a huge deal. But I'll tell you this scenario you're talking to us about here, about the Nets potentially going out and getting KD, getting, getting Kyrie, and then having these veterans leave. It's a pretty good deal from my side of things. Get KD out of our <laughs> conference and then have these veterans uh, out there available on the market. We can scoop some of them up. I'm not mad at that at all, really. Yeah, but I mean, send them on over. <laughs> yeah, honestly, but going but going forward, so the, is that that impression that he has of the Kings as someone who is outside of of the Kings media? Does that feel accurate to you that they're that the Kings are a team that is making this push and is going to start attracting more veterans like Dudley? I could see the fit, and I could see why he would say that, just because of every you know how he even started this this podcast was just you know similarities with the Nets and the Kings. And, you know, he fit in so well here. It would be probably such a smooth transition with a team like Sacramento. But um, just having spoken to Jared, you know, I, I think, like, he, he's very much interested if the Nets do let him walk. He's very much interested in, in the Boston Celtics. You know, he went to college at BC. He spent a lot of time there. Um, I think he sees an opportunity there where he might be, you know, they're, they're a young team, especially if Kyrie leaves and they're, Kind of in that rebuild slash win now mode with a bunch of young guys. He feels like he could be a mentor there as well. Um, he's, he's talked to me about the Lakers too. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the Lakers, but they're another team with a bunch of young guys. And he feels like he could go in there and, and, and be that mentor. So I, I see why he would say the Kings a hundred percent context makes sense. It would be a smooth transition, but, um, you know, I think Dudley has his, you know, he, he, he knows his worth right now and he, he has an idea of what other teams he would go for. And yeah, I could, I can 100% see him being with the Kings, but I also think that, you know, he's looking at teams like Celtics very much so and even the Lakers. You know, I scratched him off my list right as you told me that he was considering going to the Lakers. I just can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> But aside from those guys like KD Kyrie, which Kyrie, Kyrie seems more realistic than KD, I, it looks like you have a, a hole at this stretch four position and the Kings can make max, max money as well. And a guy that I know Rich and myself really like that I could see as a really good fit in Brooklyn is Tobias Harris. You willing to throw that max money at him, you feel like? See, that's where the problem is, is that I, you know, I played AAU ball with Tobias Harris. We grew up 20 minutes away from each other. I've known this kid since he was, you know, 12 years old and, and watching him grow into an NBA, you know, not even just, not even just NBA, but college, AAU and, and, and 
into the NBA. He's always been this high character guy. He's always worked hard for what he has. Um, really does fit the mold, like you said. Like he would be a great stretch for in Brooklyn, but I don't think that he's. I, I think he's far from a max player. And and you know what, Brennan, you know they don't want to max out D'Angelo Russell. And if they're not willing to max out D'Angelo, I can't see how they'd be willing to max out Tobias Harris. Regard, despite despite the fit for him in the offense and everything like that. Now I will say, you know, going back to my point of playing with him. You know, Kenny Atkinson also grew up 20 minutes away from me and 20 minutes away from Tobias. So those two do have a connection. So it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if that's it. That's somebody that they ended up with. It's a great fit, like we mentioned. But for max money, I, I don't think so, man. I, I Just personally, I, I don't think that's that's worth it. Interesting. You know, a couple other guys here that haven't gotten real mentioned. I wanted to take uh i want to i wanted to see we haven't mentioned ronnie hollis jefferson at all i know he's struggled a little bit definitely a non-shooter but is he someone the nets are looking to bring back you know he's he's the one that seems like you know they're all right with parting with um you got to look at you know, what I mentioned before with Sean Marks having a vision three years ago and, and, and really sticking to it with Kenny Atkinson and, and, and Ron Day was taken and he's the only net that has been taken by Billy King, you know, the, the previous regime. He's the longest tenure net. So he wasn't really part of Marks' vision. He wasn't part of that mold. So I think, you know, these past couple seasons, like last year, he had a good year. He averaged 14 and seven, I believe. And then this past season, he kind of took a dip because they did add some some pieces that he had to actually fight for time against. And and you know they play the stretch ball that he just doesn't fit. And yeah, like I I personally I don't see them bringing him back um, just because the system fits. He's been a great guy, like great culture guy. He works hard. He plays with fire. You know, he he really has done everything they've asked him to do. It's just, it's just the problem of you know being a system fit. So I personally no, I don't see Rondé Hollis Jefferson come back to the Nets. Got it. I actually got two more for you, real quick. Um, you know, Shabazz Napier is a guy who I actually really thought did a great job at uh, you know, a minimal salary there. You think that team options being picked up? Again, you know, it's so hard to predict, especially with the with the point guards, because you know everything I'm hearing is that you know Kyrie is very much so leaning towards Brooklyn. He he he's intrigued by what they have there. So you bring a guy like Kyrie in, and and to add to that, you know, what I've heard is that that they've been they're willing to pair D'Angelo and Kyrie in the backcourt together. So let's say you still have you have D'Angelo Russell and Kyrie Manning in the backcourt. You have Spencer Dinwiddie backing him up, and you have Karis Levert, who also has played his, you know, fair share of time at the point. Uh, I don't really see if 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 that happens. I don't see Shabazz coming back, but you know, if things don't go as planned, I could definitely see him coming back, maybe on a one or two year deal. But you know, again, I I I, I was kind of you know watching him this season. He played good in spurts, and he was a good spark plug, but I'm not sure where he fits on this team. Like, the Nets are, and and Rich, you said it before, like, they're a team filled with these guys that are 6'4", 6'5", to 6'9", that could handle a rock. 
um, he he's like they don't they don't really like having small point guards. Like it, it's it may sound crazy, but they they really they believe in that length thing. So I don't know if he's even a fit. I think that they'd be okay if he walked. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's really interesting because he's a guy who I haven't really considered as going to be out there on the market. But uh, like I said, I like him. So, uh, But obviously, if you can upgrade to Kyrie from that, no one's going to be mad at that. One last guy, uh, Travion Graham, I actually was looking at really hard for the Kings last summer. I was really banging the drum for him. I think he plays great defense on the wing. Uh, he's on a non-guarantee next next season. Any thoughts on him? You know, Trevion really struggled this year. Uh, he started the season with an injury, which definitely set him back. But it just it just never felt like he was able to get into a rhythm. You know, he, like he's a good, solid, strong defender, but not good enough to make up for his offensive woes at least this past season. Now, <clears throat> I will say that you know Kenny Atkinson and the coaching staff think very highly of him, and I think that. They believe that he deserves a second chance. You know, I don't think they want to judge him off for one season. So it wouldn't surprise me if he came back and they did give him that second chance, be that, you know, try and be that uh, three and D guy that they hope that he would be. But, you know, again, he, he was probably the last name in the locker room that you would hear this year around Brooklyn because he really, he, he just, he just didn't get it done really on either side of the ball. I think he shot. You know, below 35% from the field, something like 28% from three. You know, it just, it didn't work out this year. Yeah, you know, Anthony, you had mentioned this whole, there's a very good chance of Kyrie ending up in Brooklyn, and I've seen this around a lot as well. That, and you also had said that they're hesitant to max D'Angelo Russell. Kyrie coming has to leave D'Angelo on the outside looking in, right? Yeah, yeah. D'Angelo is very much, feeling like he's in limbo and and look it's not a bad thing because the kid is going to get paid no matter what whether it's with the nets or somewhere else but you know for a couple months now you know i think that they've had their price set on d'angelo and i i believe it's somewhere from 21 to 23 million dollars a year um so you know I, i hear these reports that you know i hear that from sources that they'd be willing to pair them together they wouldn't mind. They feel like they could make it work. They're very much a team that just believes get the talent in the building and let Kenny Atkinson figure it out. But, you know, if you look at D'Angelo Russell or if you put yourself in D'Angelo Russell's shoes and you see this guy coming after what you've done, yeah, like you, you got to feel like an outsider. And he, right now, his state of mind, he just, he's going with the flow because he doesn't know what's going to happen next. And, and, yeah, like it's 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 a tough position for him, and and it's a tough position for the Nets. But I will I will say this, and I'll end it with this. You know, they they finally have like good decisions to make. Like like yeah. as hard as they are, and as many hearts they may break in the fan base. Like for the first time, and you know, I don't know how long they have good decisions that they have to make. So be honest with us here. You think. You think that this whole they can play side by side thing is that is that the Nets trying to you know sound good and sound like they're gonna do their best to respect both players you know keep their options open or do you really see that as as something that could work on court? I think it's a little bit of the latter. I, I definitely see where you're coming from with that. With, you know, 
trying to respect both of them and, and make sure they don't, you know, anger anybody. But at the same time, I, I do believe that, you know, Kenny Atkinson and his coaching staff, they're all point guard heavy, point guard savvy people. They, they, they like to develop these guards, these ball handlers. Um, I, I think defensively they would get killed every night. Like they would have such a hard time if them two were, were manning the, manning the backcourt. But at the same time, there's part of me that believes, you know, the optimistic side, I guess you could say that believes, you know, you have this two headed monster in the backcourt. Almost like Dame and CJ in Portland, you yeah. know. Stop it now! Stop it, you know. Like, or even yeah. you know, even though they're big men, you look at the Marcus Cousins and Anthony Davis back in New Orleans. It was rather unorthodox what they did, but it was like, all right, now you got to stop it, you know. So, I don't really know how it would work defensively. I think there would be a really bad pair on that end, but yeah. offensively, and that's really where the Nets thrive. You know, I think they they. I think they do believe it could work. I think it's all about talent acquisition and letting Kenny Atkinson sort it out. You know, I guess I can, I guess I can see it. I guess I can see a little bit of, I can see how Russell could get to that sort of Jamal Murray level where he's combo guard enough that they can make it work. I'm just, I'm a little bit pessimistic from the outside looking in. Yeah. I also, you know, I'm skeptical about, D'Angelo working off the ball, like he he kind of needed the ball in his hands to to do everything he did to create for himself, to you know create for others, and and I haven't seen enough of him off the ball because when him and Spencer Dinwiddie played together, they really didn't play well. Like they like they it just turned into ISO ball. It just seems like both of those guys needed the ball in their hands to be effective. So again, like there's. There, look, if Kyrie Irving comes here and he plays with D'Angelo Russell, I don't think anybody's going to complain, but there's a lot of skepticism, especially on my end, just defensively and, 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 you know, taking the ball out of D'Angelo's hands after what he did this past season would be really hard for them to do. If you guys were to strike out on Kyrie, Kemba, and most of these max guys, and then, Indiana, Dallas is throwing a max offer at D'Angelo Russell. Do you feel you're sort of forced to match that in this situation? Because I know, I mean, you got a lot of money right now and you need something moving forward. It's not like next year's free agent class is anything to get excited about. Yeah, this is, this is where things get difficult because then teams who do what Sean March has been doing to other teams, you know, offer, putting that putting that max down and, and, and putting other teams in cap hell. So I, I think that um, if, they, if they do strike out, I think they have no other choice but to pay the man. You know, like even though they have their price set, they strike out, they have to pay him the max if, if that's what other teams are going to offer him. If they even let it get to that point, if they don't re-sign him before then, which is definitely a possibility. Well, we just said it before. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it, but at the same time, you know, bringing back the band isn't the worst thing in the world, especially since they're a bunch of young guys. Like if, if they did bring back the same team, I think the only, you know, the trajectory speaks for itself. You know, they took a 14 game improvement this season, 14 game jump. So, you know, if they do strike out, I think you have to match D'Angelo. You have to match whatever they offer D'Angelo and you just, you rock with what you had this season. Obviously, a lot of these guys want to be back. Under that same situation of striking out, I mean, even beyond D'Angelo, do you think that leads to a chance of you overpaying for some guys that wouldn't have come here in the first place just because you do have this money available? 
you know, Sean Marks has always said, you know, flexibility and, and not believing in spending just to spend, but you make a great point. Next year's free agency is really, really empty. And I could see that, like, yeah, like I could see them almost, whether it be a trade or, or whether it be overpaying a guy like Julius Randle, um, just to help the front court. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I can see them doing it, but it would go against everything basically that they've preached in terms of, you know, they don't, they don't want to spend just to spend money. They want to stay as flexible as possible. Makes sense. You don't want to be stuck with some of these terrible contracts long-term because obviously there's more than just next off season. The last max guy that I wanted to get your thoughts on is Jimmy Butler. I know that the Nets are very big on their culture right now, and Jimmy's a little bit of a question mark there, but we've said that we feel like he could come to Sacramento. I think obviously there's a really good chance he stays in Philly, but we thought that Jimmy could make it work in Sacramento because they are a hard-playing team, and that Jimmy's issue with Minnesota was that these guys weren't playing hard, they're not hustling, and I just don't feel like that's an issue in Sacramento. And am I right in thinking that it's the same thing in Brooklyn? Yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and this is another unpopular opinion in the Nets world, but I've said it. I, I think if Jimmy Butler came to the Nets, I think he would be great because it, it look, the clean slate, obviously what happened in Minnesota, we don't know, but much like D'Angelo Russell, you can't judge a guy's past, you know, off of one year, you know, off of what we've heard in the media. We don't know the true story. We don't know, you know, there are a lot of narratives placed that, you know, we don't, we don't know it. But we do know Jimmy Butler as a basketball player, and we know the type of style of ball he likes to play. We know that he's a gritty basketball player. I think I think he would be a great fit here. Um, the problem is that, you know, he's hitting his 30s. He's, and, and, you know, do you want to commit four years to somebody yeah. like that, four years of max money to somebody like that when you have this young team? Um, and, and you ask yourself, does, does he put the Nets or does he put the Kings over the top? And I, and I don't, I don't think so. I think maybe, you know, for the Nets case, they're the sixth seed this year. Maybe they jump in the fifth or fourth spot, but you know, I, I don't think that he's a guy, but I think he would be a very good fit. Yeah, I understand that. I, I would agree. I mean, I feel like he does fit the identity. You were talking about a little bit of that blue collar guy and you have a bit of a hole there. I know that the there's also obviously the Thibodeau legs on him and you worry about the age. I understand that. Last thing I wanted to get your opinion on is we've seen Dinwiddie talk about it on social media. I saw you had said that the Nets were potentially looking up and trading up, looking at trading up from that 17 pick, having been linked with the Suns draft pick. What what's that looking like? I would assume that they'd be going after a starting point guard that they've needed for years now, and Dinwiddie's contract has to be attractive. Without a doubt, and you know something that's worth keeping in mind. You know, you look and you hear about these reports about the Suns potentially shopping that sixth pick for a veteran point guard. You know, maybe the Nets see, you know, they that they could trade Dinwiddie, one of the biggest bargains in the NBA a Phoenix, get that number six pick and, and not just move up, but gain leverage and, and trade talks for a guy like Anthony Davis. You know, suddenly now you have the sixth pick and all these assets. You know, that doesn't they would have a really, really, really good package if they, could, if they can move up. Now the question is 
know, what draft picks do they have to trade with Alan Crabb? Because they have to get rid of Alan Crabb in order to open up that max slot to begin with. And the only way that's going to happen, he's, look, he's, he's got one more year left on his deal. They're going to have to attach a draft pick to that. And, yeah. you know, so really, I know they want to move up, but it's going to be hard because you don't know what teams are going to demand if they're going to want that 17th pick or if they're going to want that 27th pick with Alan Crabb. Obviously, they want the 17th, but, you know, are the Nets willing to budge? And honestly, do they have any other choice? They, they have, if, if they want to go big game hunting, they got, they have to get rid of Alan Crabb. So a lot of that is dependent on that. Um, but yeah, uh, what I've heard is that they do want to move up. They have virtually three first round picks. They have 17, 27, and then the next second round, which is the 31st pick. So, you know, they, they, again, they have a lot of flexibility and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest bit if they did move up a little bit if they see someone they like. All right, man. Well, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. Sounds like it's going to be an interesting summer for you over there in Brooklyn. But before we send you out of here, we got to just know, you know, if you, if you got to give us your best guess, if you got to look into the crystal ball, what's happening this summer? What's the most likely outcome? Out of the hundreds. Yeah. We've discussed a lot of, yeah, a lot of possibilities here. There's so many. And, I, you know, I, I I really do believe that Kyrie and his camp are convinced of Brooklyn. I you know, I don't I'm not sitting here saying he's gonna go to the Nets or anything like that, but I think if there's anybody that we're talking max free agents, I think he's the most realistic. Um you know, with Kate I, I would I would say K D too because you know, he's considering I, I, I believe it's between the Nets and the Knicks right now. And He's going to take meetings with both of those teams, and the Knicks really don't have much to to offer in a meeting with Kevin Durant. You know, they're a 17 win team that just got the third pick in the draft. They don't really have much of a young core other than, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. and and Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox. But you know, is Kevin Durant going to want to leave Golden State for the Knicks? So, you know, I, I don't want to say KD is coming to the Nets either. But it's it's like the thing is is that these are very much real possibilities for the Nets. As, as crazy as it sounds, like they're they're very much players for these guys. If I had to say though, I would say at the very least they end up with Kyrie and maybe D'Lo in the backcourt. Alright man, well thank you so much for joining us and uh, yeah, if they do sign Kyrie, if they, if they sign KD, we're definitely going to need you back on uh, and have you break that down for us, But but thank you so much man. Guys, thanks so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. Yeah, appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything that you'd want to promote? I know you're writing for Nets Daily. What else you got going on? Just doing my State of the Nets Periscope Thursday night. People want to interact with me on Twitter. I'm at a pooch, working on some free agent stuff and 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 draft stuff coming out SMY and Nets Daily. So, you know, give that a, give that a look. <laughs>